It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from under- uh, I think the beginning of our show I heard got cut off a little bit, so I want to welcome everybody to our show and remind them we are listening to WORT, a public affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. And we're talking right now with attorney Hank Schultz and attorney John Birdsall about a lawsuit that they have brought. Uh, regarding the lack of state public defenders in the in the state of Wisconsin and how that is violating the constitutional rights of thousands of people sitting in jails across Wisconsin. Um, so let's sort of take it from there and tell us about your lawsuit. Why did you file? So we've sort of set up, okay, so the right to an attorney. Okay, we've set up the public defender's office. That means when someone is charged with a crime, a public defender will come and represent them. But it doesn't work quite as simply as that. And why did you file this lawsuit? And why are people sitting in jail? Well, this isn't just folks well, sitting in jail. Yeah. I mean, it's it. it we have um, folks sitting out of jail waiting for lawyers. Waiting to, for their moment. The right does not... Um, attach or become more significant because you're in jail. It may be more critical in some situations because someone's in jail and they can't do something on their own if they were out, what they could do if they were out. But nonetheless, it's the same core right. Okay. And the problem is there's not enough attorneys? Is that, I mean, we'll spend the rest of the hour breaking this all down, but the first issue is there's just not enough attorneys to represent everyone? Is that the problem? That is the the problem. Um, And, you know, Hank was talking a little earlier about, okay, we got this 60-40 split. And um, and, and if you look at the volume, um, approximately every year the public defenders get referred about 158,000 cases, okay? And and they have, you know, this, they have X number of staff attorneys, but they, the staff attorneys, they work at ridiculous caseload to start with. Um, for example, a a, um, a young SPD lawyer might have to work on, uh, if they were handling misdemeanors, 400 misdemeanors in a year, which is insane. Nobody can do competent work at that level. But then, the, then there's all these very difficult cases that they're trying to get the private bar attorneys to take. And, um, and for years, Back in the 90s and the early 2000s, um, it would be uh, there was a lot of lawyers willing to take the cases, even at an abysmally low rate of $40 an hour. Now, anybody who's ever hired a lawyer knows that um, uh, $40, $40 an hour is not what lawyers charge. Nope. Most lawyers charge, you know, even in a small town, maybe $250, $275. In a big city, they're at $500 to $1,000 an hour. And um, and so um, literally, it costs a, an attorney about $110 an hour for overhead. So so basically, the $40 an hour was working for free. And um, and so unless you're like literally working out of your car and out of your apartment, 
Um, you can't make a living doing that. And so eventually, as you know, the, the years go on into the, into the 2000s and 2010s, um, people just stopped taking them because it was economically unfeasible. And that was one of the reasons that we brought, Hank and I brought a petition to the Supreme Court to say, we want you to declare this rate unreasonable. We didn't even ask them to declare it unconstitutional. We just wanted them to enter a, de a declaration saying that this was unreasonable and they declined to do it um, for a variety of reasons. But the point is, is that it rallied, that was like a flashpoint in this decades long battle to raise the rate um, so that we could get, you know, experienced attorneys to take these cases. Um, and, and so, uh, so finally, the legislature did raise it, but they only raised it to seventy dollars an hour. And um, uh, and and honestly, you know, there we're just going to have the federal rate. If you were to take a federal case, it's one hundred and fifty-eight dollars an hour, and it's indexed every year. Um, and so, uh, this hodgepodge way that Wisconsin has chosen to basically keep its public defense function um, on life support is by not funding it correctly. And that's why it's falling apart, essentially. Yes. And, and, and I want to add something, you know, yes. we're not here to in any way critic, be critical of the staff public defenders. They do, you know, some of the best work there is to be done in this state in criminal defense. They're among the very best. We're not talking about that. We're not also not trying to say the staff public defenders should have more cases added to their plate just so there's somebody there in court with someone and you can say they have a lawyer. That's not at all what we're looking for. We're not looking for money damages either. We are simply looking for the court to order that a competent attorney be available within two weeks of the initial appearance in a criminal case. And, and that's sort of the outer limit that our Supreme Court sketched out prior to the public defender system being uh, created. That's all we're looking for. We're not trying to tell them how to do it. We're not, we're not asking for a specific hourly rate, although that's certainly part of it, but there is indeed a structural problem with the way this agency is being administered in terms of how lawyers are not getting to people. Um, it's uh, one more point. Yes. We've heard a number of comments over the, over the last couple of weeks. Well, this is, this must be related to COVID. That's why you're here. No, it's not. The, the 2018 case that John and I brought to the Supreme court, was obviously pre-COVID. And that's when they said the court should appoint a lawyer if the public defender can't find someone. That's when they said that there was a constitutional crisis. That's when they said, well, you know, we're not going to declare the public defender rate unreasonable, but guess what? We are going to raise the rate that, that courts would pay if they appoint from what is an unreasonable rate of $70 an hour to 100 They did that. So what does the legislature do? They go, oh, well, let's just turn around and make that $70 rate that the Supreme Court's already said isn't going to work. Let's, let's go with that and the problem will be fixed. Well, it's been a year and a half since that kicked in and the problem is worse than ever and getting worse every day. So, Hank, I want to back up with that and I really appreciate, you know, I should have asked this first. Your, your point is well taken. Of we need to talk about what you're asking for and talk to us about, um, elaborate more on what the... Wisconsin State Supreme Court has said they have called this pre-COVID a constitutional crisis. They have called this um, that the minimum 
or I guess maybe the maximum it should take is is two weeks to appoint an attorney. And all of this was pre-COVID. Is that correct? What else have they said? Yes. Well, also in 2010, a similar petition was brought by Dean Strang and some others. John and I participated in the hearing in the Supreme Court back in 2010. And they said that this is a constitutional crisis that's just about to happen if, if the fix isn't soon. Well, eight years later, the way I read that decision, they declared the constitutional crisis had arrived. And now it's four years past that. So we are in a mess. And how dire is it? How dire is it? it I've been uh, sort of looking at the filings that you had, and there are hundreds of pages um, attached with your lawsuit that illustrate how bad the situation is. Can you break down some of those numbers for us? Well, sure. what you see in the lawsuit... Oh, go ahead, John. Oh, I was just going to say, the attachment you're referring to is the attachment to our complaint, which is a spreadsheet of um, uh, all of the individuals who had cases this summer, like just in the last few weeks, um, uh, that they couldn't find lawyers for. And it's 382 pages long, and it only covers, it only covers about 35 of Wisconsin's 72 counties. Um, because frankly, we just didn't have the manpower to research every single one. Um, and, uh, but it makes the point that, um, uh, that this isn't just um, a rural problem. It's not just an urban problem. It's not a, you know, um, a, a well-off area problem or a, you know, a, an economically depressed area problem. It's, it's everywhere and it's systemic. And, um, and that's why uh, this lawsuit was necessary is to um, bring to state government or political branches of our state government um, a, ki- a kind of like, um, you know, a little bit of a, a old term I like to use, come to Jesus meeting about um, uh, this is this is not something that you can ignore anymore. Uh, and the problem has been for decades is that, as I said, they're just they're just giving just enough funding to keep the, the program alive, but not to let it work. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the ultimate problem. I'll give you an example. Yes. So um, and so there's a private bar portion of the state public defender budget, and every biennium, this is what the legislature does. The the le- the, the public defender says we need X amount. You know, we'll just pick a number, hundred million dollars. We need X amount, um, and they will give them, they will appropriate at the beginning of the budget two-thirds of that amount, which means by January, February of the second year of the biennium, at, they have to come back for an emergency uh, appropriation. Mm-hmm. And that has happened at every single cycle for, you know, as long as we can remember. Well, uh, John, and, I, I um, think I think that they have they have drastically mitigated that delay in payment problem. It's not as okay. bad as it once was. So, well, I guess the point, the bigger point, is that the attitude seems to be we're going to give you just enough oxygen to stay alive. Right. Just enough. You know, we're not, not we're not trying to build a Cadillac system here. We're building a, a Dodge Neon. That's, you know, um, that maybe doesn't have all its parts. 
you know, well, and, and it's, it's just going to get across town. It sounds like it's not even a Dodge Neon. We're going to give you a Dodge Neon, which is fine. That works just as well as a Cadillac, but they're not giving you all the parts, and they're not giving you anything to support to get the gas, to, to do all the extra things that actually make mm-hmm. it go. Yeah, and, and I want to I add that you know we didn't file this lawsuit as our first option. You know, we, as we pointed out, we had these other hearings in the Supreme Court. John and I have talked to legislators. We've tried to we've talked to other state officials trying to get a political solution, which is what our Supreme Court was saying should occur. Well, guess what? There hasn't been one. None. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in those two decisions, there are a strong indication that, you know, a litigation may have to be used. Well, guess what? Here we are. This, is, this cannot and- go on. And, and it's interesting that um, while our political branches seem to um, uh, be kind of kind of ignoring the reality of the problem, we had um, uh, we had a opportunity, or the Supreme Court did, to actually um, address this problem in a case called Nia Lee out of Wausau, where it was an individual who was charged with <clears throat> some felony some felony crimes and he, um, uh, he, they couldn't find a lawyer for, I think it was about a hundred days. Um, and so he finally got appointed a lawyer who then brought a challenge uh, to his case based on that delay, because when it's delayed, you know, it makes it really hard to, um, uh, to, to defend a case. But the Supreme court, the court, first of all, the court of appeals said, Yes, the case should be dismissed, but without prejudice, which means they can refile. The Supreme Court had an opportunity to really address the fundamental problem here, and they just decided not to. They took the case, but then they issued an opinion that says, well, we shouldn't have taken this case, and so we're just letting the Court of Appeals decision run. And that was just in March of this year, or May. And and so uh, it seems that... um, uh, nobody's on the same page about a how bad the problem is because nobody really knows, um, and b um, uh, that we want to how serious we're going to take it. We're talking right now with John Birdsall and uh, Hank Schultz, two of the attorneys that have filed the claim uh, against the state of Wisconsin, asking uh, for public defenders to be staffed or all of these different solutions that we're going to be talking about, but acknowledging the constitutional crisis that is happening right now because there are not enough attorneys to represent individuals charged with crimes here in Wisconsin. If you want to join the conversation, we'd love to hear you. Um, Give us a call at area code 608-256-0201. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Uh, Megan and Rochelle are in the studio, and they will be happy to take your calls at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Well, so I want to talk about the different problems that we're having. So step one, as um, Hank and John, you've you've outlined for us, step one is the system in, the, in Wisconsin is that we have state public defenders. There's not enough money to fund private bar attorneys. Uh, because there's not enough pay for that is enough. And it doesn't sound like there's enough money being put into the public defender's office. It's not the individual, the public defender, but it also that are they understaffed? Should we increase the staffing 
for the public defender? Is that part of the solution as well? I, I don't think you can rule it out. I think it has to be considered. I think there's probably some combination of things that can make a difference. And that has to be one of the things that's considered. We do not want to increase staff caseloads. They're already too high. You know, uh, the, you know, John mentioned what the staff attorneys do for misdemeanors. I, I think it's actually high, higher than 400 a year. I know felonies are on 200 a year, 200 felonies a year. So figure that out. I mean, you're talking 15, 18 new felony cases every month, you know, four or five a week. Is part of, year, is part of the solution also then to talk about other, are there other criminal justice reforms that can be part of it, such as perhaps not charging as many people with misdemeanors or low-level charges what? that are happening? Is, is that... Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you just absolutely. took the words out of our mouths. So okay. Yeah, exactly yeah. Right. yeah. So so if you look at the history of our criminal code in Wisconsin, um, it is um, exploded. Uh, come the war on drugs, you know, in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, we have quadrupled our prison population. Um, uh, Tommy Thompson, um, uh, the state public defender's um, father, um, Kelly Thompson is the state public defender. You know, this isn't a rip on her, but I'm just saying that he was, he was um, uh, fundamental in the explosion of our criminal legal system. And mm -hmm. I really, I'd like to refer to it as the criminal punishment system because that's what it seems to be. And, um, and it's concentrated in a lot of poor areas. Uh, for example, here's a jarring statistic. One half of Wisconsin's prison admissions come from three zip codes on the north side of Milwaukee. Okay. Half. And, um, and wow. so we see, we see where the concentration of law enforcement effort is. And this is, and this is true at the federal level also, I would add. Um, the FBI, the DEA, um, do the same thing, except they do it on a much grander scale with much more severe mandatory minimums. And so this whole attitude is a political attitude that was really started with Richard Nixon, um, but it kind of like really caught fire under Reagan in the 80s. And, and everybody realized, everybody being politicians, realized um, how great it is to get on this tough on crime bandwagon. And so the laws themselves um, proliferated in terms of what is considered cr criminal conduct. So it's not just, you know, this drug is illegal. It's, you know, you, you, you can't be, you know, a part of, you, you can't be party to the crime of, the of, of the delivering the drugs. And if you had a weapon and if you had, uh, if you're part of a gang or if you were, you know, it, it was like all just like this massive proliferation of enhancers and um, to increase the time that people would spend in jail. Um, and it had, and there's a, it had a direct effect, by the way, on the ability to exercise your right to a trial. Um, mm. And this is called the trial penalty. And this is why the, you, hear, you hear stories about people pleading guilty to things that they didn't do because they're afraid if they go to trial, they're going to get three times the penalty that they would if they entered a plea. And um, approximately, uh, so back in the, you know, the 70s, the 60s, about 30% of cases went to trial. Today, that's 3%. Right, right. And, and, and the reason that's important is because 
it, 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 it sort of like um, juices up this attitude that if we just, you know, keep um, criminalizing everything under the sun and giving law enforcement more money and power that, um, uh, you know, that, that, um, that will enhance everybody's reelection. Everybody looks good, they look tough. And, um, uh, but the problem is, is that it's a completely unbalanced system and our public defender system is, is not funded at the same rate. It's, it, and it's completely out of balance. The whole thing is out of whack. Well, and you know, you go ahead, uh, Hank. Carousel, yeah. <clears throat> you had asked about other kinds of reforms and, and to be fair to Tommy Thompson, when he was governor, there was a program called, this is just an example. There was a uh, called uh, intensive sanctions. And the idea was that, uh, or excuse me, intensive supervision. The idea was that you would have a category of probation agents to uh, work with people sentenced for felonies that would otherwise go to prison. They would have far fewer people on their caseload, far more resources to rehabilitate those folks and see them not commit another crime and not have to go to the more expensive option, option of prison. It was a great idea. It worked well, except one guy screwed up and went out and killed somebody and they immediately got rid of the program. But if you're talking about reforms that can not only save money, but make folks better in the long run so we don't have to have them back in the system, not only do we save money, but we protect public safety. Right, right. So, and, and, and those kind of efforts in combination with other things could make a difference in the number of cases the public defender's office on, over the long run has to handle. But you have to have this broad view. It has to be a, and this is maybe asking for something that's impossible, but you has to have a view that takes you beyond the most immediate election cycle. Right now, nobody in Madison or Washington is thinking about these issues because they got an election in November. After November, maybe. But the well, point is, it's only a two-year window. But I, I mean, I think this is also important. So... um I know I was talking with the two of you before and our listeners know because I almost say this every time, but I was on the county board for 16 years. And part of the conversation was knowing this um, statistic that John was just talking about of three percent or even lower go to trial. The role that it is so important to get good representation and advocacy right from the get-go that if you're going to enter a plea you need someone who's advocating for you you need someone who's ready to review the evidence review the documents talk the witnesses before you know a month goes by and the witness isn't available or the witness forgets or the document that was saved on your phone is no longer saved on your phone because your phone broke your phone lost you moved out of the country whatever it is and this is not just anecdotal i mean i'm in eviction court every day much much lower stakes but still a basic need to get housing right and people don't have access to their phones a month later all the time every Every week I have a case like that of things that would have impacted my case are no longer available because a month has gone by. And that's, you know, the speed of eviction court. We only have to wait a month. And so I think that's even more telling that because so many cases do settle because of the structure that we've set up in our criminal justice system, how important it is to have representation and advocacy right from the start. I mean, is that part of this conversation, too? Yeah, that's directly part of it because um, you, you noted all the important stuff. I mean, um, yeah, people um, uh, move away. They 
Um, a lot of times, well, of course, there's cameras all over everywhere now. Mm, and so yes. a lot of times maybe that has exculpatory evidence of um, having, uh, you know, showing somebody's innocence or at least um, something helpful to in their defense. You know, that stuff gets overridden, mm-hmm. you know, in 30 days or whatever. Um, and uh, And the other thing about having competent counsel is now, and this is sort of a part goes back to the crushing caseload part, but for a lawyer to do their job, they have to look at all the evidence. And the evidence in most criminal cases today includes hours of body cam footage or hours of recorded interviews of witnesses. And um, uh, and I'll tell you, having and Hank and I both practiced back in the day when we didn't have those and we were um, we were begging for it because it would have been so helpful in so many cases. And now we have them, uh, but, uh, and, and so in private practice, I have the time to go through them because I make the time, but a public defender in their defense, they just can't do that with 400, 200, whatever the caseload is. Um, you know, the amount of, uh, I think Kelly Thompson even made a comment that you would have to have a whole team of people working full time just to go through what they get, um, in terms of body cams. And it's um, uh, and and that is critical stuff. Let me tell you, that is really critical stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and you know what? People entering pleas, they have to do that intelligently, and they can't do that unless you've gone through everything. And you know, you've you've interviewed their witnesses and the the people that they said, hey, I you know I have an alibi, or go talk to these people. I can prove that this is false. You know, um, a lot of that never gets done. Yeah, and, 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 and you have to re- have to recall the fundamental nature of what we do in this country is to have an adversarial system. The yep. idea being, in theory, that each side has a complete and adequate opportunity to put forth their best arguments and, pr- and presentations and interpretations of the evidence, and then either the judge or the jury decides. Well, that adversarial system fails if one side isn't adequately funded, adequately prepared. Good prosecutors, a lot of good prosecutors will, will, will tell you that they, they, they want a better public defender system. They rely on having somebody on the other side point out the problems with their case that they might have missed on their initial review. Because guess what? Those folks have big, big caseloads too. Yeah. And so it, it, it really has to, if you look at it from a system-wide level, it's about justice or the lack of it. And justice is not being achieved every day in thousands of cases across the state. Well, and can we talk about the, you know, racial implications of the conversation we're having? I know, John, you talked about the zip codes that make up three zip codes uh, in the Milwaukee suburbs and Milwaukee area. Uh, Tell me if I'm repeating you correctly. Uh, Make up 50 percent of of prisons. Is there a racial? I mean, this this is a, a racial conversation. Disproportionately, it's uh, men of color that are being left behind. Well, yeah. Yes. 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 Well, so Milwaukee is, as a lot of people know, uh, the most segregated, racially segregated city in the United States. And if you live in Milwaukee, which I have my whole life, um, the um, the lines are very clear. Um, where um, the racialized lines are very clear. If you look at a map, in fact, there was a lawsuit. Decades ago, about about redlining by insurance companies, where they would 
put a red line around all the neighborhoods that were um, African American, and um, they wouldn't give them mortgages. You know, right. and so it, it's it's very it's it's, it's very densely um, an African American community on the north side of Milwaukee, and then somewhat on the south side, but that's uh, also mixed in with a lot of um, Hispanic uh, population. So, um, and and so you know, and, and Milwaukee's always even before it was a racial thing, it was always an ethnic thing. You know, there was Polish neighborhood. You know, we were a Russian neighborhood. There might be, you know, Jews over here. You know, it was always like these pockets of people that stick together. And that's just the culture here. So when you look at that statistic, about half our prison population is coming from three zip codes on the north side of Milwaukee. It's not an accident, you know, that 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 law enforcement um, focus has been on those neighborhoods. And they're already, I mean, they're already oppressed areas. And, and I say oppressed, I mean economically oppressed by a system that will just won't let itself um, let them prosper, you know, and it's hard to get businesses to locate down there. And, you know, a lot of heavy industry um, that used to have, you know, um, have living wages uh, for people with, you know, that didn't go to college and, you know, like, you know, a lot of metal machining and things like that, that all, that's all kind of went away. And so, um, uh, and so the answer seems to be that they're easy people to pick on. And so you can be, you can look tough on crime and it's not going to affect you or your neighborhood up in Whitefish Bay or Ozaki County or wherever, you know, or, or you know, wherever in the state you want to talk about. Um, and, and, and what is, how can those folks, really fight back much. Well, they really can't because they don't really have much of a voice. You know? well, it, it isn't just Milwaukee. Wisconsin yeah, incarcerates, no, Wisconsin not, incarcerates not. black people at the highest rate in the nation. Mm -hmm. We are the most disproportionately racist criminal justice system in the country. And this is part of the problem. But Hank, mm -hmm. what I also like is, Hank, you're, you're from Crandon, Wisconsin. Is that correct? So... The yeah. challenge well, is that's that, where I am now. Yeah, that, okay. I was in when I was with the SPD uh, as a manager. It was until about 2008, I think. I was I was in Green Bay. Okay. And the, and the it, I had an eight county area around around Green Bay. So that I managed. Can you talk to us about the impact? So this clearly has a racial justice system. This clearly has an impact on our cities. But this also, you know, is having an impact in the rural communities of Wisconsin as well. Yes. If if you mean the uh, the lack of lawyers, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it is that it, it's it, initially when John and I were at at the Supreme Court, the talk was, well, this is primarily a rural problem. You know, we just got to get more lawyers to live in rural areas, and everything will be happy. Well, it's not true. That's not true. Uh, but it it started out really. It got enough. I guess we got our we got our impetus for this effort that John and I have been at, at for the last 14, 15 years from the rural problems. So yeah, it started there. It's, it's grown. It's, um, it's not just in areas now where there's lack of lawyers. There's definitely a lack of lawyers across all fields in rural areas in the state. Um, there just aren't enough lawyers to, I mean, I know I have friends that can't find associates to hire for their civil practices. Um, 
So it isn't, there's a lack of lawyers there, but it's much more than that now. It has grown to, uh, in most every area of the state, there are not enough folks uh, to show up with all the people that are constitutionally entitled to have a lawyer. Okay. So what happens now? What has been the response that you've gotten uh, from filing this lawsuit? Hank? Well, if you're talking about the public defender system or the governor, they have time to answer. They have another month or so before they have to put in a formal answer. And then that'll be our first opportunity to hear what they say unless they choose to communicate in some other fashion, which I, I'm not expecting. Um, but we've, we have had the, the responses that we've getting, have been getting have been largely positive, saying it's about time. Something, some, something had to be done, and, and we're glad you guys rounded up the resources to get this done. And by the way, I want to acknowledge it isn't just John and me. It is the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, which is sort of the parent organization of, of the state organization that, that, that John and I are part of. It is the New York University Law School Center on Race and Equality. And it is a large law firm, international law firm out of Chicago, Winston and Strawn. They have a team of about six lawyers helping us. Fantastic. Their names are all on the uh, on the on the signature page of the lawsuit. But the point is, this is a big effort with a lot of people involved. We plan to get this right. And what does right look like, John? I wanted to get your thoughts on. So, who who has the ability? As, as you've previously pointed out, you're not asking for money. You're asking for change. You're asking for someone to be appointed within 14 days or these cases to be dismissed. Who has the ability to make these changes? Is it the state legislature? Yes, in a word. Um, and they're the critical component. So, of course, the governor also. Um, between the two of them, uh, they're... They bear the Gideon responsibility. Um, and, uh, it, you know, when you really pull it back, it's kind of amazing that it took several hundred years for the United States to actually declare that um, the Sixth Amendment right to counsel, which is right in the text of the Sixth Amendment, um, uh, is a requirement by the government to supply uh, attorneys for poor people, that it took until 1963. And so now, you know, um, basically, they've been slow walking this thing. Um, and the creation of the public defender's office was a good idea. It was a smart idea. It was probably encouraged most like a, a good deal by the counties association because they bore the cost at that time to make it a state um, responsibility. Um, and so, but it's always been a state responsibility in essence from since Gideon well, and but and. Go ahead. No, I, I, well, it isn't just the legislature and the governor. Our lawsuit is invoking the powers of the court because the legislature and the governor haven't done their job. And it's not mm -hmm. just the current le legislature and the current governor. It goes back to its politicians of both parties decades. over many decades. Yes. Yeah, this isn't, it, this isn't a partisan issue. But right, right now, what, what we're saying is we want the court to declare that we have a a, a, a certified class that are the folks that we've put forward are typical of the kind of folks that are around the state without lawyers and then order that everybody from this point forward gets a lawyer within the two weeks of their cases dismissed. Now, I expect that if we get that order, we're going to see um, judges who are faced with having to decide 
Do I dismiss a case knowing it can never be brought back? Or do I appoint a lawyer at the county expense until this problem is solved in a more fundamental way by the legislature, the governor? I think the courts will appoint. I don't think the courts, judges are elected in this state. They're not going to want to be held accountable for setting somebody free that, that they don't want to set free. So this, is, this now involves the courts initially, the court that we filed in, taking action to declare that our lawsuit has merit and to enter the appropriate order. And then it involves probably every other trial judge in the state eventually uh, doing what they have to do uh, in, in light of that order. So it's now all three branches of government. But are they able to do that? If, if a judge said, okay, I'm appointing someone, who is there to appoint? Even if the county was doing their county pay rates, if we have a shortage of people for all the reasons that we talked about, an overwhelmed system, not enough hours in the day, not enough pay, not enough respect for the incredible toll of the work that they do, where are these people going to come from? Well, the, the, well it, 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 yeah, the question is partly informed by what the judge chooses to do or not to do. A judge is not constrained by the Supreme Court cap of 100 an hour on a case. The, the case law goes back, I don't know, decades, longer than decades, saying that the court Actually, has inherent authority to, to, the, to, to the 1800s. Yeah. Mm. Right. But th there's a more recent case from the 19, early 1990s um, involving Door County. But the, the point is that a judge can say, OK, I can't get a lawyer take this case at 100, if I pay 120 or 150 or offer some other combination, they can do it. Now, there, you're right that there's probably some county someplace where nobody would take the case. That could happen. I haven't, I'm not aware of that, but, I, but in theory, it's possible, but it's really not the issue. The issue is, um, and look, we do not, our goal isn't to get judges into being the primary source of lawyers for folks. Right. Our goal is to get the public defender system to work, but we have to apply this carrot and stick approach in order to accomplish that, unfortunately. You have to use all the tools and the pressure that you have. Um, John, I know that you have to leave us a minute or two early uh, in just a few minutes. Any final words before we let you go on you know, what next steps are and how people listening to um, you and Hank right now, how can they get involved and make a difference? Well, thank you for, for having us, first of all. And I, I would say that um, the, the big takeaway from this suit is um, whether or not we care about this system. If you look at the Bill of Rights, um, three of the amendments, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, are um, directly related to the criminal legal process. Um, there's a reason for that, is because the, that process is literally a cornerstone of the democratic ideals that the country was founded on. And, um, and everybody claims to love the Constitution, um, some parts more than others, but everybody supposedly loves it, um, but when it comes to when the rubber really is going to hit the road and we have to actually construct a system that works, we've chosen not to do that in Wisconsin. We've mm -hmm. chosen to um, uh, construct and fund a system that is barely functional and it only serves um, politicians, uh, you know, re-election um, claims of being tough on crime. And, um, and that's because fundamentally 
we don't care about people that are charged with crimes. And we especially don't care about poor people charged with crimes. And so we have to get folks to a place where they care. That's the bottom line here. Because once you care about something, the state budget is, is, a, is a list of priorities about things with, of which we care. And so a lot of people want to build roads and schools and, you know, and all that stuff that we do as a state. And this most fundamental thing is something we need to care about. The entire justice system is 1% of the state budget. And so the, the argument that we don't have enough money or whatever it is, is nonsense. It's just that we have to care. And so how can we, what can folks do? They can contact their, their legislators and start rattle some cages over there at the state capitol. That's what they could do. Well, it's been wonderful to talk with you, Attorney John Birdsall. Thank you so much for joining us, John. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. And, and Take Hank, care. Yep. Hank, we still have a few more minutes with you. I want to ask the same question of you. Of What do you hope is the next steps and, and the results from this? Well, I mean, in a perfect situation, and I know we're never in a perfect situation, this lawsuit would get the immediate attention of the people in Madison who can solve this problem fast. But they wouldn't want to risk a court order basically telling them how to run their justice system. Rather, they would take responsibility for what they haven't done and do something sooner than later. I mean, it would be lovely if we could solve this problem and then just go into court and dismiss uh, <laughs> uh, the lawsuit. This is, you know, that you, you know, that would be the perfect situation. And I'm not talking about fixing it tomorrow morning or next month. It would have to probably be next year at the earliest, uh, given the way the uh, budget cycles work and, right. and the priorities, other priorities in, uh, in the state budget. But that, you know, that would be, uh, that would be ideal. I'm not expecting it if we, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, that's right. all I can say. I sure hope I'm wrong. And are, is there a way for people that are listening to support the work that you're doing? Well, like John said, you can contact your, your legislator and say, simply say, are you aware of this lawsuit? This lawsuit should never have to be brought. Please take a serious look at this. This is a public safety issue. It's a justice issue. It's, it's, it's an issue about things that we all should care about, as John said, but maybe we don't think about it enough. You know, one, one little anecdote I'd like to add, in, yes, if I can get it in, please. is in, in, in many totalitarian societies, including the Soviet Union, uh, they had and still do vast indiv individual rights laid out in their, in their constitutions and um, beyond what we have in this country. But when you look at their constitution more carefully, you see two things missing, and they are the right to a jury so that the government isn't the government employee, isn't the one deciding your, your, your guilt or innocence and your punishment, but more fundamentally, the right to a lawyer to actually enforce individual rights. And it's folks sitting in jail, sitting, sitting waiting for lawyers out of jail all over the state that are being denied that opportunity, that we are, you know, we are being pushed into the direction of countries that are more totalitarian or third world or whatever you want to say, but we are, we are increasingly moving in that direction in this state, and we need to stop. Well, I really appreciate the work that you're doing, um, Attorney Hank Schultz, uh, you and your colleague, Attorney John Birdsall, and all the others, as you've mentioned. Thank you so much for 
you know, joining us today, but also thank you for bringing forth this lawsuit and all the work that you've done for decades that have led up to this. I've really, I mean, people don't realize that it is a constitutional crisis. And the fact that this isn't just your words, but these are words that have been spoken by our Wisconsin Supreme Court, that it's not a partisan issue, that it really is a fundamental, basic constitutional right issue. This is such an important conversation that hasn't been had before. So I really, really appreciate your advocacy and leadership on this. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for giving us an opportunity to explain things and asking great questions and giving us a chance to explain ourselves. So thank you so much. It's wonderful to have you. Again, we were speaking right. today with attorney Hank Schultz and attorney John Berzal, two of the attorneys, the part of the team filing a complaint, uh, a lawsuit asking for representation of for public for individuals in criminal cases to make sure public defenders are available to represent them. Thank you everyone so much for joining us today. Thank you Megan for engineering. Thank you Rochelle for producing. Thank you Mary Jo for staffing the phones. Thanks everyone for listening and we will see you again next week. Remember you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. From the base, deep down, low precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions. Live and direct, becoming never pre recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, becoming never pre recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted.